Quest episode 239. I'm your host, Mike Epps, aka Wheels, and with me as always. Dick Brad Harmony, David McBurney, Family Master. Nice. And Gaijin will hopefully be along at some point. Um, It'll depend on how long before we both burn out. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, what's going on? Has any news happened since last episode? There's, there's that indie world this morning. Oh, uh, yeah, that was neat and also not neat and also weird it seemed like it was mostly some fairly neat looking games yeah is that a cool looking like retro styled rpg from the messenger people that was pretty neat oh yeah sea of stars looks dope yeah uh omari got a switch announcement i've heard that name and know nothing about it but people seemed to be booing and awing a bit of that for some reason it looks pretty yeah i have no idea what it is i'm just saying yeah uh, six red harmony sorry my brain is destroyed by that phrase <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like it was mostly, you know, there was some neat looking games, uh, some decent looking RPGs in there. But you know, did we record? It, it was a fun way to fun, unexpected showcase, given it was the end of the year. Yeah. Did we record before the Game Awards last week? I believe so, because they were last Thursday. Yeah. Okay. So we should probably talk some about some of that real quick like should we what? <laughs> we could talk about what won best rpg which was tales of arise yeah i think every person i saw whether they liked that game or not responded with what yeah yeah i i like that game quite a lot i don't understand that pick given what's what was there you got monster enterprise yeah. you got monster stories 2 which i actually don't think was nominated you got freaking Shin Megami Tensei five. I feel like SMT five would have been the logical winner there. Yeah. Uh, but whatever. Uh, game of the year was It Takes Two, which I'm insulted by because it's the one game I literally knew nothing about in that list, and therefore I don't know. <laughs> the people who have played no it idea. seem to think that was a reasonable choice, but I know very little about it. Yeah. Could not comment on that, but Metroid Dread did beat All Takers in the action adventure category, so that was cool, including like Death Loop and some other big names. And for best narrative, it was Guardians of the fucking Galaxy. You seemed it's pleased by that. You were hooting and hollering. Oh yeah, it was extremely pleased. That's like a that's absolutely a deserved honor for for that team because that story is really good 
and hopefully more people will play it after that. Um, there were lots of random announcements during that show. I don't think a lot were RPG related other than uh, Persona 4 Ultimix is coming to everything. Yeah. Which is nice. Hey, Gajan. Yo. Yeah, we're still just recounting news. We have to play. But yeah, Persona 4 Ultimax coming to everything except the Xbox. Um, which, I mean, there, that definitely has enough fans to be kind of an exciting announcement for some people. Yeah, it's cool. It will be cool to play that in modern systems and with modern yeah. online and whatnot, so that should be fun. Um, I'll definitely pull that into Sunday Night Fighting at some point. Yeah. Uh, but I did not like the way they teased what they were about to announce. By saying, you'll never you say see... It. They teased it by saying, oh, you'll never oh, see yeah. it coming. Well, you didn't see it coming. It's true. <laughs> Boo! It's just not... Ah! It's just not the Persona 5 port I was. I thought that Tease was leading to. Yeah, I didn't actually watch the awards. I just watched Wario64's Twitter feed as he tweeted out every That's announcement fine. as it happened. It was actually uh, it's actually a very good show. I'll uh, take your word. Nice but I did not need four hours of that in my life. Was that how long it was? Something like that. Back. No, it was honestly a fun show. Um, and, I mean, the uh, it was kind of cool because most of the announcements were mostly, like, indie stuff, not a ton of, like, big names or anything like that, so. Mm. But anyway, <sighs> what's everybody been playing? Hello. Hello. Hi. Yes. Well, I, I just got past another boss in Shimagami Tensei Five yes last night. Nice. Nice. Took about five or six tries. That's a tough boss. Yeah. <laughs> SMT boss. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't that wasn't that he had a lot of hit points or anything. Um it, I mean it really only just took six about six rounds of spamming dark attacks to take him out. It was mm-hmm. the fact that he was simultaneously spamming a ton of physical attacks at me. Oh uh, that's true. Yeah. So um, I ended up using up all of my physical blocking items, all three of them that I can stock up, and also the physical mirrors, just in case. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And made sure that at least my hero was immune to electrical damage, because that was his main, uh, his primary non-physical attack was uh, Mahajayonga. So... Mm Mm-hmm. So it it helped a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like just more SMT on your part. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Well, Wheels. What have you? It's it's just one of those things that you it takes a while to get through, and you don't really want to get too distracted, or else you may never get back to it. Yeah. For me, it's one of those things. Like I've set it aside for now because I need low impact stuff right now my brain will not accept a full uh mm-hmm. that's fair smt but 
Yeah. What, else, what you been playing? Uh, in the spirit of trying to play some more of some games that could be Game of the Year contenders, I have started back up Persona 5 Strikers. <laughs> headed on towards... <sighs> finally headed on to the road trip and on to the second jail, wherever that may it's be. It's fun seeing those other like little slices of uh, town. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to putting some more time into that, because... Uh, as as always, revisiting those characters is a blast. Mm. And hey, I can play this one on the go, which is nice. That's very nice. Very nice. And I'm remembering that my Christmas task is to go back and look at a few games to make sure I can actually write up a review or impression or whatever that I should have done a couple months ago. Mm. <laughs> Let's see. As for me, uh, I dove back into Mega Man Battle Network 3. Yay. That's very... So I reached a, part, a plot point where uh, a bunch of zoo animals have gone berserk because a fake zookeeper was secretly putting brain control tips on them and then hacked them all at once to go berserk. Huh. It, it's very... a really fun series, but don't think it's going to be too serious on the tour. Line. Oh yeah, no, it's it's. I I just love like describing what is happening at any given moment because the answer is always just batshit crazy. <laughs> yep. Uh, I also was visited uh, like because I was the characters were at the zoo. I was visited with cursed lore of this video game. Because when you're talking at the zoo, the rich kid is like, well, I've seen wild animals in Netflix, so this is nothing. Uh, and I was forced to contemplate Netflix existing. So, like, everything uh, in Mega Man Battle Network is talking about, uh, like, internet bullshit, whatever. Everything's named for it. The thing that's weird about this is that Netflix, the net is capitalized, but so is Africa, which implies that it was called Africa at some point, but somehow at some point everyone came to the decision that Africa as a continent was going to be renamed, and now it was called Africa. Huh. Don't know how that works. Love to imagine it, though. That seems bad. This is what Web 4.0 will be. <laughs> Web 4.0 is going to be Tech Bros assuring us that we have to call Africa Africa now. Um, What's Web 3.0 again? Uh, it's it's everything that you don't like thinking about involving blockchains. Oh, so that, that I would call that web minus three point so That's like a yes, yes. massive step backwards. Mm -hmm. There's there's a desperate attempt to brand like metaverse and blockchain shit as web three, and it's hilarious. But that's why this insane boondoggle is now web four to me. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, otherwise I booted up the. Uh, prototype that has surfaced of the PS2 launch era Goemon game. The game that uh, murdered working designs. Well, working designs more like it's 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 more a case of working designs like beat itself against the wall that was getting the game improved over and over until it could not survive and succumb to its injuries. Uh, 
But yeah, uh, I can kind of see why they wanted to bring it along. I can also see why it wouldn't have gotten approved. It's a weird game. Uh, for anyone unaware, in Japan there was a PS2... There was a Goemon game that is kind of a sequel to the N64 Goemon games for the PS2 at launch. Uh, it... Proper name in Japan. Like this, this version has a different name. Like they actually gave it an. Okay, so in Japan it was Spoken Jidai Katsugeki going on. Uh, it's pretty. It's a pretty uh, generic sort of name. Yeah. But it means like answer. I mean, it was like adventure age action Goemon. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's yeah, it's, it's a pretty generic name. Uh, it is trying to sell the Goemon games to a different audience. Like if you look at the history of these games at that period, there is a desperate attempt from Konami to find a new, potentially broader audience for them. Uh, there was these awful, awful PS One games that tried to make them like. Uh, like neat, like futuristic feudal Japan uh, thing that like that went over so poorly that like the last proper going on game in 2004 uh, has that version of going on put in jail for crimes against the franchise. Uh, but there was, there was a real attempt to try to sell this to like, I think they were concerned that Goemon was like had become a game for like nostalgic like thirty somethings, and they didn't like that. They wanted to sell it to ten year olds, and so this one is trying to be like a much more straight faced adventure. There's not not much of the farcical comedy elements of most of the Goemon games in this. It's a very strange game. It's much more of an RPG, which is why I'm willing to talk huh. about it this much. Like it has leveling up, there's stat uh, selection. You have to, you are constantly trying to buy new weapons because like those are very important. But that's also kind of the game's big problem and the reason that I like it's at the time they were trying to get it out in like 2004. It was a monstrously old and kind of ugly game, but that's not the reason I would have probably <laughs> had concerns about it. Uh, the combat's awful. Uh, the, there's clear signs in these prototypes that Working Designs was trying to fix the combat. Uh, there's some sort of lock-on system that I'm given to understand does not exist in the Japanese version, but it feels half-implemented in this version. It doesn't seem to do much. You can mm -hmm. focus your the camera on an enemy, but it won't actually direct Goemon's attacks in a useful fashion, so like, it, it doesn't uh, help as much as it probably ought to uh it's and the the other big issue is the enemy respawn rate is among the most aggressive i've ever seen Ooh, that's not good. uh so like you leave the first town and there are suddenly a dozen enemies in front of you all attacking and that was ill-advised for a combat system as unpolished as this. And, like, that's what takes it from being, like, kind of bad combat to awful combat, because it's just constant. Uh, the game is still not hard, because it's clear the developers at some point realized that this game, that enemies, like, the amount of enemies you were fighting, they were just going to bum-rush and murder you. Uh, 
in a lot of contexts. So they made it so that most of them only do like two or three damage per hit, and you very quickly eclipse like 100 health. So it mostly just becomes, oh my god, why are there so many of them? Why did you not scale this back? Uh, later, why didn't you scale it up and make it a proto-Muso game? Yeah, like, they're in this weird space. Like, Goemon's actual attack radius is also a big part of the problem. None of the weapons feel like they have as much range as you think they should. Mm. But, like, the combat is bad, and it makes it hard to recommend anyone spend serious time with this prototype. But it is very interesting to me as someone who has had... Who has been curious about this game since seeing a short preview preview blurb in it in a magazine literally 21 years ago. Hmm. Uh, so I'll probably keep plugging away at it just because I want to see. But by all accounts, this the translation in this seems to be done. I'm not sure that I think that it was done to working designs. Uh, like done to working designs satisfaction in the sense of it's mostly a very straight faced transla translation thus far. Hmm. Just very surprising to look at. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they wanted to uh, get to make sure that Sony had approved the game to a greater extent before they tried uh, adding that all working designs charm to the script. But that means that mostly it's actually very straight-faced and direct about most of the translations thus far. So that's uh, another thing that's very interesting to note about it. Uh, as far as I got into it, which is about an hour, uh, the plot is uh, like 12-year-old kid Goemon uh, finds a like baby white tiger that the game, that like characters in the game seem to assume is literally the child of Yako, the uh, guardian spirit of the West. So you're Yako. off to go try to return it to Yako. Uh, the white tiger. Yep. Yeah. Good thing Goemon immediately named it Kotore when he thought it was a stray cat. <laughs> that sure made things simple. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's... It's cute. Yeah, it's it's cute. It's not. It, it's it's a very odd game. It's it's interesting to play because I feel certain that at some point in its development, it was not a PS2 game. Uh, but its choice of how to take advantage of the PS2 is mostly like because it looks like an up-res PS1 or N64 game. Mm -hmm. It's able to have much larger environments than most especially launch era PS2 games had so it's a very strange construction very interesting but again very hard to recommend unless you're obsessed with uh, weird old games and especially going on as I am yay for Mystic Ninja yeah oh and as, as I mentioned the prototype has a new title screen where the working designs apparently intended to sell this as uh, Mystical Ninja Goemon Zero. I guess huh. because this is in as much as you can say that this has anything to do with the others, it could only ever function as an origin story because like 
Goemon's literally a child, and one of the first things that happens is you get, uh, like, his mother, his seemingly adoptive mother, gives him a, uh, gives him his normal outfit that he gets, that he wears in the other games, like his, like, weird red, uh, like, thief's outfit. So... Mm -hmm. Like I guess their their tack for how they intended to market that was seemingly that they were going to just say, oh, this this, this is the prequel to all the other ones. And it's like, I don't think you can really reasonably say. Uh, I'll be surprised and shocked if we see impact in this game. Which, uh, for those less familiar, impact is Garmon's giant robot. He has them the games. But yeah, so that's what I've been playing. Uh, not sure. Uh, is there any other major news? I mean, it's December. No one's announcing anything other than yeah. that indie world showcase. Yeah. The uh, the hint had a new saga game. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, we do need to talk about that. Yeah. There was a hint to the new saga. Game. <laughs> Pretty much, that's all about what we know about it. Yeah, yeah. They they clarified that it was meant to be some sort of packaged retail product, which implies like a scale of something at least on the level of Scarlet Grace. So, yeah, like a for real new game rather than them just referring to the remasters that have been previously hinted out. Unlimited Saga Two confirmed. Uh, <laughs> either that, or it's a collection of the DS games, which is very unlikely, but. Can... Yeah, I feel like they would just announce that as what it was rather than mm -hmm. hint at just yeah. a new retail product. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, just the way it's phrased, it's definitely a new game of some sort. Yeah. yeah. Also, I'm now finally monitoring the RPG. Uh, you Why are you playing this on the RPG gamers? Oh, this is this is Destiny. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah, this is Destiny. For a second, I thought this was Apex, and I was just going to, like, ream you out. Uh, that would have been fair, but no, I'm not playing Apex. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, new new saga, presumably like implicitly for 2022. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I saw. Yeah, there was also just like an hour or so ago, it looks like, uh, some sort of uh, conference, press conference or like shareholder meeting for uh, Falcom that announced uh, Legend of Heroes Kudono Kiseki 2. Mm. Which I think they're Least too far. <laughs> Say what? Least surprising sequel announcement ever. Not at all. Not at all surprising. Not at all. But it is one of those things that's like, oh, I guess that did like get properly announced for a fall 2022 release date. They are definitely uh, in too deep on uh, that technology-wise to put it on anything but PS4 and PS5 at this point. But that definitely feels like something where they're going to take kind of a bath on it for a bit. Mm. Well, uh, we'll probably see that sometime around like 2024. Yeah. Maybe 2025. That's whenever is fine. I have a mountain of 
There's so many keeps keys. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me. I forgot to mention I've. It was I fired my Vita back up for some more Trails of Cold Steel. Nice. I still need to grab Cold Steel 3 and 4 on Switch before they become a problem. Yeah, you should do that. <laughs> Money is hard, Wheels. You know this. I know. I know. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that strikes me as most of the news, which is honestly more than I was expecting to be able to yeah. think about. Yeah. Oh, did I see anything the other day? Oh, um, the Eglia remaster is going to be available on Switch, like, today, actually, I think. Oh, yeah, Eglia was the thing from Asato Kato's company, right? Uh, it's, um, yeah, the current incarnation of Brownie Brown. Mm. So, um, if you remember what Eglia was, like, involved. Experience. This game is, like, identical. It looks very, very much like the old uh, Legend of Mana, Sword of Mana, and the uh, Magical Vacation games. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And it was originally a, a smartphone title, and they've remastered, yeah. remade it. Yeah, it was originally and, like a gotcha game. Imagine this one's now. Is that available in yeah. English? Not, not yet, yet but, but I do know that Pause is really interested in finding out. Uh, also, bearing in mind that uh, I feel like both versions of Eglia that happened before localized feels like. Mm -hmm. That might end up happening. It seems quite likely. Mm. But yeah, uh, I mean, that's out like today in Japan. Mm. So I give it time, Wheels. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Let's, let's set up some Fire Miner questions because they were so kind as to leave some in the uh, Discord. Uh, let's see. Figure I should probably get some questions tangentially related to the holiday. Uh, what's, what's the best case of developers coming up with suspiciously similar holidays in their games? Because they don't want to break the suspension by saying, yeah, they have Christmas too. I don't actually see a lot of games that don't take place in the room that have holidays in yeah, I mean, I've seen games that reference Christmas in random ways. Secret of Remember Mana. when Secret yeah. of Mana had Secret you beat the shit out of Santa? It was fun. Yes. Yep. <laughs> or um, the the second Metal Saga game had a town dedicated to Santa Claus. <laughs> Specifically, it, they, it was dedicated to the memory of this homicidal maniac in a big red suit that drove around in a tank blowing up monsters. <laughs> he called himself Santa Claus. I mean, that's good. Did he spell Claus with a W, though? <laughs> uh, I mean, it wouldn't make any difference. It, it wouldn't be in Japanese. Santa yeah. Claus and, is gunning and, you um, down. The town, the town is incredibly remote, so the way you actually find it is you fall through a hole in a cave and end up going through somebody's chimney. <laughs> yeah. You can be the new Santa Claus now. Well, that's how they. That's what they assume, and they tell you how to find his tank. That's yeah. Is it a good tank, though? It's uh, actually a really good tank. Um, and then there was, of course, Linda Cube that had a, an entire town dedicated to Santa worshippers. Mm -hmm. 
Residents of Fate just has Christmas, right? They don't dress yeah. it up, do they? Uh, and yeah, I think it's just Christmas, and then there's that whole chapter where you combat is chucking presents at children. Yeah, you're throwing presents at children. It's it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that's why I thought of it, but also yeah. why I wanted to be sure that it was actually just Christmas and Residents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Gaijin. Oh, no, the only other thing I could think of was um, the Dreamcast version of Atelier Marie, mm-hmm. where um, on the little, the the controller little readout, they would, um, since it had a calendar function, it would give you random things at different dates um, when you were playing the game. Mm-hmm. And so if you, were, if you were playing the game on December 25th, the game would wish you Merry Christmas, but then note that unfortunately nobody celebrates Christmas in Salberg. <laughs> I think a number of the Bokujo Monogatari, Story of Seasons, Harvest Moon games actually do have, like, fake holidays. Yeah, that's the one I would assume just because it's really focused on a calendar. Yeah, It's heavily focused on a calendar, but not one that maps one-to-one to a proper calendar. Mm. Yeah, not like the Persona games, where yeah. it is our calendar. Looking at... Uh, yeah, so like looking at a wiki from like Friends of Mineral Town, I'm seeing uh, things with names like Pumpkin Jamboree. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's, yeah, you know, cute enough. Starlight Night is apparently Christmas. It's winter 24th. <laughs> and it's followed by Starlight Night Gift. Winter 25th. <laughs> <laughs> Just cut to the chase. This is what, this is what your Christmas is about, right? Starlight Night Gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like a lot of games don't really try to give enough of a sense of uh, internal cultural context to have proper holidays that exist in universe. This just reminds me that I need to play Cthulhu Saves Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I that's, really that's going to come up. That's going to come yeah. up. Uh, and uh, and just for fun, everybody, go read the review that we have for Cthulhu Saves Christmas because the reviewer actually started it off with a parody of the, a visit from St. Nicholas. It's <laughs> impressive. Yeah. I, I remember he- helping him arrange it a little better for the... But he did most of that himself and was like, good job, you, dude. Uh, <laughs> uh, which does bring us to our next one. What is the greatest holiday spinoff game? Anyone remember Christmas Lemmings, Duke Nukem? Cthulhu Saves Christmas, yeah. Yeah, Cthulhu Saves Christmas gets to be that one. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's also an RPG, which helps. Yes. Well, uh, let us not forget Christmas Nights. Yeah, yeah. I uh, own a co- I have a copy of that. Do you? Somewhere for some reason. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. I've never owned a copy. Yeah, so it's the I believe it is the only Saturn game that I own. My brother sent it to me <laughs> when he was in Japan for a while. Hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, say what? Um, yeah, I mean, most of the the examples of Christmas I can think of in games are just like this place has a random snow-based level, so of course they're going to use Christmas decorations. 
Yeah, it's just sort of like they just sort of decorate the winter place with Christmassy themed stuff, and mm. it's just like, eh, they just do this year round, I guess. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah I, I think, I, um, somebody else commented right after him on the th forum that, or on the, yeah, you know, Discord, things, Discord, about um, online RPGs, Final Fantasy. 14, for example. Yeah, having, like, that, really good uh, fake holidays, but I know nothing about FF14's fake holidays, yeah. so I couldn't speak to those. So, well, the only one I can really speak about is Kingdom of Loathing's Crimbo. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Are you familiar with this? It's it's ringing some bells, but you're going to have to explain it better, because it's one of those things well, where it's like, I definitely remember hearing about this, but... Well, I, I'm about a decade out of date on what they've done with it, but it's a it's a recurring, ongoing storyline involving um, their fake version of Christmas. Mm -hmm. And originally, originally it was starring Father Crimbo, until Father Crimbo died in a freak reindeer accident, and they had to bring in his um, drunken, disorderly brother, Uncle Crimbo, who lives sure, in a trailer park at the edge of the North Pole, and. It, and so every year, the storyline usually is either Uncle Crimbo attempting to somehow monetize or otherwise do something weird with the holiday and or somebody else taking revenge on him for whatever happened the previous year. So at one point, the Scream Queen of Halloween decided to take over the holiday. Another time, the Borg Collective crashed down on... Father Crimbo's grave reanimated him and we were forced to fight robotic reindeer. <laughs> that sounds cursed. Another time, another time um, Uncle Crimbo got so far into debt with the Penguin Mafia that the Mafia took over the North Pole and there was a civil war between the Penguins and the Elves. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> Yes, um, it just it gets it get more and it gets massively more and more ridiculous every year, um, and it's a pity I haven't really been paying attention to it for like literally a decade because I'm kind of curious to see what else they've done with it. Um, but yeah, it's like Rudolph the Red was a communist sympathizer, for example, <laughs> <laughs> things like that. That's it's uh, crazy. Mm -hmm. Okay, but yeah, that's um, my my personal pick for alternate Christmas is just Crimbo. Bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Sorry, my brain is just completely filled with the phrase six rat harmony." Um. So. Okay. It's all that's all there is. Uh, okay. Okay. Watching Home Alone makes me want to ask this. There are games that intentionally make you the bad guys, but what about games that unintentionally make you the bad guys from another perspective? Uh like that that's would be just, most any D and D campaign. <laughs> yeah. But I mean just also like th this comes down to like a writing fumble, like a bad one. Mm-hmm. Where you've somehow, well, I mean, like, you've written, you've either written the protagonist so spectacularly unsuccessfully, 
or the antagonists way more successfully than intended and produced something where it's like, oh, these guys suck. I hate them. Yeah. I mean, aside from taking a path in a video game that specifically allows you to be the bad guy. Yeah, but like he's specifically asking for things that unintentionally make you the bad guys. And like that, I, I would count like giving you the option of being the villain as intentional. I think to think of anything where I would like where my thought process by the end was like that the protagonist's point was not as good as the villain's and I can't think of much because <laughs> like usually when you get a, uh, most games of this uh, uh, most games in this context like if they're able to successfully characterize the villain's well enough that they have a point, they're usually not completely botching the purpose the protagonists are meant to serve. Yeah. Unless we're talking about Wild Arms 2, where just the riding was awful a whole the way through, but they still managed to get some good points in. I mean, Wild Arms 2 is kind of in this weird case where it's like, the, the villains for most of the game are just sort of like another route for the real villain to who is also kind of the hero to get what he's trying to accomplish done. So, Yeah, that, that game was horribly underserved by its translation, and it took me a yeah. while to realize exactly how much I was reinterpreting it in my head to have it make sense. So. Yeah, but like the intention is supposed to be that Arms and Odessa are both being controlled by the same force, who is just trying to make sure that there's something that can fight that dimension. Yeah. To be fair, the leader of Odessa and at least one of his minions really were that bad. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's this and was not they, they the idea stick. was not that no. the idea was not for Odessa to win. It's just a case of if they do win, then it's not necessarily the destruction of Earth or Felgaia, as the case may be. Yeah. So, hmm. But otherwise, um, are you familiar with the Kagero series? Uh, the name from is familiar. Or what was the it. actual? What was the translated? Is that Deception? Yeah, I believe it might be. I know um, that. Like, it... the, I think the series is like numbering is more complicated in Japan, but yeah. Yeah, um, I'm just remembering Kagura, another princess. Yeah, because I think the first one in America was Tecmo's Deception: Invitation to Darkness. Mm -hmm. Uh, in Japan, it was uh, Kokumekan. <laughs> But then they made Deception, uh, Kagero Deception 2, and uh, which is explicitly a sequel. It's Kagero uh, Kokumekan Shinsho. Mm. And then they, I'm but yeah, like the, the numbering is complicated, but they are the Kagero games. That's what, yeah. that is what you're referring to. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those are always in like a weird space where it's not fully clear if they intend for the player character to be heroic or villainous. But I mean, it's basically the player character creating a death trap. Yeah. It's the first thing I thought of when they said Home Alone. Yeah, if you want a game that's just Home Alone, I mean, that's probably as close as you're ever going to get. But... Yeah, it's like dark fantasy Home Alone. Yeah. Most recent one being, yeah, the aforesaid uh, Kagero, Another Princess, or Deception 4, The Nightmare Princess in America. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, technically, Nightmare Princess is like an expansion on, on the yeah, of Deception Four. Four. But... Yeah, I'll be right back. Yeah. Keep going, guys. Uh, yeah, if you just want the experience of throwing people into Rube Goldberg dungeon, perhaps that's it. Yep. Watching Home Sweet Home Alone makes me want to ask this. Are there cases of developers not knowing their audiences when they try to interject something serious into their games? If only a few audiences would have thought about whether Kevin Callister is an up-and-coming psychopath, probably less who want a movie exploring that premise. Sounds like he's referencing the fan theory that Kevin McAllister grew up to be the villain in Saw. Yeah, that's that's one of those things that I've seen people toss around. But yeah, like there's uh, to to go further into like the question, I guess. Uh, I guess I, I'm trying to like the the issue you run into is that like the majority of games don't really try for like complex themes and don't typically uh and are often you know using a fairly stock sort of plot that doesn't leave this kind of room for interpretation mm-hmm. you need to you need to be trying something and fumbling it to make this kind of thing happen uh, i guess i can maybe think of games where they will like inject darkness or levity where it feels inappropriate, but that feels like an almost separate concept. Mm. Have you got anything, Gaijin, or...? Um, I mean, your average Mega Ten game will do things like, oh, you're on the path of light, righteousness and light, here's a genocide. Yeah, as a, uh, like, Mega Ten's, like, core philosophical tenet is, like, balance though trying to yeah. be uh on the path of light or darkness really just ends in genocide all the time yeah which is why i'm still highly suspicious of how my principal allies in megaton 5 are still bethel and the angels yeah that doesn't I'm seem like very, a very friendship suspicious. built to last <laughs> yeah especially since in the third ward here a couple of uh, NPC demons have said things to the, along the lines of, why did the angel start this again? Hmm. Of course, that kind of pales in comparison to the like 50-story tall fire giant currently hanging out in one end of town. Listen, Sir just needs a place to crash for a few weeks. Yeah, he's crashing um, West Akihabara right now. <laughs> uh... Yeah, uh, like I, I think a lot of games deliberately avoid this kind of thing, like in as much as they, as these kinds of plots end up getting considered, just because it's a case of their mass market and a lot of mass market uh, entertainment tries to avoid uh, even accidental complicated marketing. So. Which is why you're going to have to look to the indie market to find some really re- weird examples. Yeah, pretty much. Binding of Isaac? Yeah, there's a reason no major publisher would have ever fucking touched that. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, you don't. Uh, you don't run into that. Uh, how unsympathetic can you make your playable character be? I recently read an interview of a Japanese light novel author who wrote power fantasies. Basically, said, "Yeah, to make your protagonist a total asshole just as long as he's good at it." All people secretly desire to be confident or uh, having the power to do whatever they like. Maybe the most, even the most reprehensible things. I mean, I feel like that author is making some broad assumptions about uh, all people, if that's indeed the phrasing that they use. But uh, I'm thinking he just described a good portion of the lit RPG audience. Yeah, which is an insular audience to say the least. It's an insular audience, and it's a it's a subgenre that really specializes in overpowered main characters. Yeah, with, with questionable social skills. <laughs> yeah. Highly questionable so um, social skills at times. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's one of those things. Uh, I think you know you make someone who's sufficiently vicious, you do just lose a huge portion of the audience that most mainstream games are trying to attract. There's a reason that making games where you're the like all-powerful hero is way more common than making a game where you're the all-powerful villain. Certainly those exist, but they are much less common and they are much less successful. Hmm. Excuse me, I must chew. Must chew. Okay, what else we got then? Let's see, what's next? Um, are there any games about ruining someone's holidays? Hmm. Again, I'm sure you can probably find something in the indie market. But, um... Oh, there's that awful PS1 Grinch game. Oh. I don't think that ever made it to America, uh, to Japan, thankfully. Um... Okay, and any game based around the Grinch would probably fit the bill. Mm. Yeah. It's uh, not very good, but it is indeed a game where the primary collectible is destroyed present, so... Mm -hmm. It's a shame. Like, the... The concepts behind it are pretty fun. Like, it was theoretically a tie-in to the Jim Carrey movie, but it does not have its likeness, so it's mostly just, like, a weird expansion of the original uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. But basically, uh, exactly what you'd expect. You're a huge asshole with a... Uh, who is going around just breaking things and destroying uh, Christmas presents and Christmas trees and generally wrecking havoc on Whoville and occasionally finding parts to make uh, weird inventions to allow you to do this better. Hmm. Extremely strange. Extremely strange. Uh, fun concept. Uh, execution is not great, but every time you finish an objective, the Grinch uh, dances and shouts, you're Grinched, so that's something. <laughs> Get Grinched. Yeah, Grinched. It's very strange. Hmm. 
but yeah that would be my immediate thought and it's kind of a cheat but i mean no one has thought about that game in 20 years except me and three other people so <laughs> yeah. um costume quest actually wasn't that about somebody um some villain trying to ruin halloween yeah, I guess that is something like that. That's not you as the player character doing it, but yeah. But yeah, there's this... Uh... Man, I'm just thinking about like bad Christmas-themed games in general and like other holiday-themed games. Like, uh... It's like a Genesis and Super Nintendo platformer called Days Before Christmas where you're just running around to Santa Claus and also for some reason Santa Claus finding... Uh... Drinking coffee turns him into an invincible demon temporarily for some reason. <laughs> so I guess that's what happened in Secret of Mana. Is what yeah. Well, man, he had some magic dust. Magic dust, man? Yeah, you, you give a little bit to the reindeer, you give a little bit to Santa Claus, a little bit more to Santa Claus, a little bit more to Santa Claus. That, that made him fly, man? It, made him fly. it got him off the ground, man. Yeah. Sorry. I had to channel some Cheech and Chong there. No, no, I understand. Yeah. That's still one of the funniest, funniest <clears throat> Christmas comedy bits I've ever heard. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, it's like developers typically don't like making games that are themed around a specific season on the basis of that makes it harder to sell them in any other season. Yep. So, like, you would see these, like, Christmas-themed expansions for PC games back in the 90s, and you would see, like, these occasional, like, references, but, like, they, you want a game that you can sell year-round. It's very hard to sell a Christmas game in, like, March. So, develop, like, big, uh, big software publishers tend to avoid these. But hey, we can all play Christmas Night. Mm -hmm. I believe it was included with the Steam version of Nights in the Dream. Oh, nice. That's why we can all play Christmas Night. So otherwise it would be vanishingly difficult, actually. <laughs> um, remember the third Gex game has a Christmas level in it for some reason? And that does involve, like, mostly just breaking shit and killing Santa, so... Nice. I guess that counts as well. He's technically labeled Evil Santa, but there's no good Santa in there either, so... I guess you just killed Santa. <laughs> Remember Gex Wheels? Do you? Do you? I do. I think I remember the cover, but that's about it. The most important Gex story, I've said before and I will say again... Is one related by his American voice actor, uh, Dana Gould. He had different voice actors in Europe, but even though they were still in English. But yeah, his American voice actor, Dana Gould, who mentioned trying to go out and purchase a copy of Gex the Gecko from like a game store back in the 90s, asking for it from the clerk. And the clerk... Perform like giving a very practiced sigh and responding, it's pronounced Jax and it's about a dinosaur. 
which is <laughs> a very oh, yeah. interesting response to give to the voice actor who uh, voiced the character, but, you know, at least he gets to live forever in that story. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, just not a lot of not a lot of Christmas themed games. Go play Cthulhu Saves Christmas. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And just generally, uh, when when games are about giving you the chance to be evil, they're usually less heady forms of evil. Like you do bring up Haunting Starring Poltergeist, which is a weird. Uh, petty sort of evil, although it's also implied that the people you're haunting, uh, one of them is a man who literally got you killed, so turnabout's fair play, I guess. Uh, Neighbors from Hell, I've never actually played, but I think I know what you're talking about, and that's a weird PC game, as I recall. Which is about the domain I would expect for these. Um, oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, as a as a side answer to uh, one of these questions, I want to once again bring up my favorite piece of lore ever added to a Disney property via its games, and that is the existence of Bug Day in the Nightmare Before Christmas dance. Uh, Bug Day. Uh, yeah. yeah. So one of them, one of the Nightmare Before Christmas games that uh, was made in the mid aughts uh, set itself up as a prequel explaining the origin of Oogie Boogie and basically says that Oogie Boogie was the uh, like represent manifestation of a holiday called Bug Day that no one uh, celebrates anymore and that that's why he, like when that holiday died he came to Halloween Town to try to take over Halloween and make it Bug Day okay I'm ready to leave, believe that. That's that's my personal canon now. Let's have fun on Bug Day. <laughs> that makes a okay about as much sense as the rest of the movie did. <laughs> it makes a brand of sense, an off-brand of sense, but uh, yeah, uh, I just I just wanted to talk about Bug Day for a minute there. <laughs> Happy Bug Day, one and all. Uh, God bug us, everyone. Ugh. Ugh. That did not sound right. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds really bad. Uh, wasn't there like a Christmas segment in one of the Disgaea games? Possibly. It sounds like something that happened. <laughs> Whatever, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, uh, I guess if we want to keep going, we've got we can pull out from the question list a couple questions. I'm kind of fried because I was just on backtrack before this, but <laughs> uh, 
guess we can hit a couple of these. Um, when and why did Japanese developers start getting the idea that gamers aren't into turn-based combat anymore? Probably around the same time Western developers got it in about 2008. Hmm. Basically, around 2008, what was the single most successful RPG on the market? Uh, probably Mass Effect, if I were to have to guess. <laughs> yeah, that would be about where, most likely, because any yeah. trend in the market is going to be a reaction to whatever fairly well-made game was suddenly very popular, and everyone has to try and dissect it and figure out exactly why it was so good. Yeah, I feel like the popular, big... not, not necessarily why it was good, but why it was popular. Yeah, why it was successful. Yeah. I feel like the big turning point, if we had to like note a line in the sand, is probably right around uh, Final Fantasy XIII, like underselling Mass Effect Two in 2010, like failing to failing to outsell that is pro feels like around the time where Square started pushing away from turn-based RPGs even, and perhaps especially for the uh, mainline Final Fantasy entries. Yeah. And that's one of those, when a big game starts doing it, the smaller games tend to follow. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things, like turn-based RPGs are no longer the dominant paradigm, but they're also by no means extinct. And you'll still get occasional uh, games that do the opposite of this, like uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon. If you miss yes. turn-based RPGs, please just go play that. <laughs> That'll last you a good hundred hours anyway. Mm -hmm. Like any good Dragon Quest parody should. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and that one's, that one's one where they've... Uh, Specifically, that like when Lost Judgment was being uh, shown to the press for the first time, we were talking about how Yakuza, like the main Yakuza games going forward, would continue to be turn-based games, with the spin-offs like Judgment taking up the like action combat mantle. So, yeah, it's uh, it's far from a dead art. Uh, what non-simulation game has the best flying mechanism? Uh, I have never flown in a game that was not a flight simulator where I had a lot of fun flying. It's really just how inoffensive can it be? <laughs> Moving around in the three dimensions is actually really hard. Uh, flying on Flammy in Secret of Mana. Mm, I've never I finished like Secret of Mana, or at least I've never... I have finished Secret of Mana, I've never played Secret of Mana all the way through. So I can't speak for that. Okay. Do tell. I mean, you never flew around on the dragon? No. The main method of going anywhere in that game, in the latter half. When I say I finished Secret of Mana, the way that I describe that is very literal. Uh, me and a couple of friends as a lark, one of whom had played the game through and two of us who had not, t like 
while we were hanging out at a friend's place a few years ago, we just played the last dungeon. <laughs> when I say okay. I have finished Secret of Mana but not played it through, that is what I have played. But yeah, uh, I'll, I'll assume Flammy's at least reasonably uh, simple to understand. Yeah, altitude's not really a thing to worry about with him. Yeah, like once you introduce once you introduce altitude, it just immediately becomes very complicated. <laughs> or and, altitude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for for non-flight sims that even have flying in them like th there's a reason that you know it's the other the other issue you run into with flying is that when you're not in a flight sim is that flying is very much a place to place thing like if you can just fly anywhere and it's not really simulating the uh the concept of flight it really changes how you have to design levels and it also makes it so that the act of getting from point A to point B is often less interesting than if you had a more restrictive moveset. Yeah, I'm thinking of the Ayers, which was mm -hmm. a... Um, basically, it was an RPG built up around a flying derby, a, gra a mm -hmm. kind of a Grand Prix race. And the thing is that the locations you visit were just literally just these little islands um in the in this um in this huge open like elemental plane of wind kind of place yeah um and so I mean, it would have been a lot more interesting if like they uh, i mean if you visit a place and then you could actually fly around the continent instead of it being literally like the size of my apartment building um that kind of very small locations <laughs> Kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I think about flight in games, I think about how usually what games will give you is ways to glide for extended periods. Yeah. Or like ways to rapidly gain altitude. And that allows them to give you the sensation of like suddenly being unrestricted in how to move, but actually making it so that you have to work very hard to get to specific places they want you to try to get to. Which is why the you Alliance have... Live with the Ornithopter. Mm -hmm. Or like Breath of the Wild Paraglider. Mm -hmm. Or uh or the Rope Cape in some of the in some of the Zelda games. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, like, one of the things that I think about a lot is that uh, there are very few... Like, the, the example I would pull out here is that there are very few, if any, particularly interesting Superman games. But there are a lot of very good and interesting Spider-Man and Batman games, two characters who have forms of locomotion that are cooperatively freeing to flight like Batman has a lot of cape gliding Spider-Man has swinging but neither of which is as unrestricted as flight and allows you to make level designs around them in a much simpler fashion yeah I suppose that's neither here nor there. 
there any first-person RPGs that actually made melee combat? Honestly, if, I mean, like one of my thoughts when I was playing The Outer Worlds is melee combat is really hard for me to keep track of. Yeah. In the first person. I because just, suddenly, I like, there's a bunch of stuff in your peripheral vision. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, it's like, yeah, not fun. I don't have too much trouble with it, but it is one of those things where, like, the addition of, like, melee combat, like, requires... So when you're shooting a gun or a bow in a first-person game, you're... The gun is taking up, like, a consistent amount of your field of vision throughout the entirety of that process. When you're, like, swinging, say, a big that's, like, confusing the view, as is the enemy and you jockeying for position right next to each other, where the enemy is going to take up most of your field of view to begin with. It inherently is a more difficult-to-grasp set of... uh, Like, difficult-to-grasp form of uh, combat for someone who has not spent a lot of time doing it. And it, it only gets worse the more that, like, your character can use, like, punches and kicks and slides and all that. Like, the now I'm thinking about, like, Mirror's Edge, which was a game that uh, had all sorts of, like, first-person melee combat. And, and it's very easy to become very disoriented doing it because a lot of it suddenly rapidly shifts your field of view. Mm. Which is also one of the reasons that first-person uh, platforming so. Mm-hmm. No matter how often they try to make it work. Yep. And I think it can work, and when it does, it can be very exciting, but it's also like, work is a relative term, and like you're still going to lose a lot more of the audience than if you just stick with ranged weapons. Yeah. And that's also part of why a lot of first-person RPGs are uh, turn-based mm-hmm. and very abstract. And here's a treat for me and Wheels. Which Dark Souls boss do you find the hardest? Oh, you mean like the whole series in general, or specifically? I'm just gonna say the whole series, like expand the stuff. Um. A very difficult question. Yes, yes, it is. In fact, this might—you might even say that this question is the Dark Souls of questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, I wouldn't say that. That's true. So, is Dark Souls now the new diehard of gaming, where everything has to somehow compare? Ah, uh, like... people have been trying to make that comparison. Uh, both live and die for the past 10 years. It's the old diehard game. Yeah. I know, I'm just remembering a story about, it's like um, a bunch of people at one, of the, at one of the movie studios trying to come up with new action movie ideas, like how about Die Hard in, air, on an airplane, Die Hard on a train, and some guy actually said, how about Die Hard in, a business, in a, an office building? 
Sure, and, why not? Let's just so do Die Hard again. Yeah. It's like Dark Souls in this, Dark Souls in that, Dark Souls in this. Dark yeah. Souls in a dark fantasy setting. Fuck. Mm -hmm. Dark Souls in an office building. You know what? I'm sure someone out. would play that. Yeah. Dark Hard. Um, you could probably sell Die Souls to someone. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. As as for me, it's any any point where one of those where there's more than one of those fuckers, and I'm expected to keep track of what all of them are doing. <laughs> I, it's very hard to fight more than one thing in Dark Souls at a time. Wheels, did you ever come up with something? No. Not really. You can always settle on the bed of chaos. No, it's not really hard. It's just annoying. Fair enough. It's really not hard. Something from Bloodborne, the old hunters, maybe? Does that count? I mean, it's basically Dark Souls. Um... Probably something in Bloodborne, then. <laughs> that fucking bonus boss dragon Dark Souls 3's vanilla game, uh, like, bonus area. There you go. That thing. You've never fought that yet, but that thing's a giant pain in the ass. <laughs> I apparently missed the question. Oh, uh, it was just what's the hardest uh, boss in Dark Souls? Okay. No way I would know. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yep. That's why I'm back here getting ready to start making dinner. Fuck. Yeah. I'm ready to fall asleep, but it seems rude to do this stage. So, any other good questions on here? Uh, I should probably open up the long-ass list again myself. Yeah, I'm <coughs> right now. Um, are so many good late or '90s, early aughts third-person action games? Heretic 2, Fact, and Gothic, Forgotten My Time. If they were on computers, it was on the console area, and besides Gothic, which of these games would you like to be a remake? I, I have never played any of these. I'm going to put that out there right now. Uh, but, I mean, they were on, they were PC exclusives when PC was a much more insular market. That's, that's about all I can get you. Yeah. And they're now extremely hard to play because they rely on because they are built for like voodoo fours or whatever. <laughs> so, so basically, they're they're legacy system games that weren't very well known at the time because their systems weren't that popular with a lot of people. And yeah, okay. Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier this week actually. That like the PC is a weird platform. 
because to like compare it to something else uh, to, to another medium it's simultaneously the platform most popular with the kind of person who uh, would be just as happy watching like a bootleg like will just would be just as happy watching like a bootleg copy of a movie that they got for cheap as the kind of person who will spend like eight thousand dollars on a tv and a 4k blu-ray player and all that and make sure that they have the exact like this dolby out most 7.1 soundtrack and so like between those two audiences like a lot of like the old pc audience is that like I demand that my games be as complex and high fidelity as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of those old games just don't fucking work. Because if you wanted to a high fidelity PC gaming experience in 1998, you were getting very bespoke hardware that nothing, uh, that things don't work like that anymore. And well, let's see what's next here. Oh, not doing one for wheels here. Uh oh. Playing the card game in Bravely Default 2 makes me want to ask if we will ever escape Triple Triad. Um, if I have my if I have my chance, I will send Triple Triad rocketing into the sun. I'm kind of sick of Triple Triad. Kind of boring card game. I'm I sorry. mean, look at Gwent. Uh, there's lots of cool things you can do with card games and an RPG, or even the the card game in um, Trail of Cold Steel is pretty decent. Just come up with a new old freaking that idea. One. Yeah. I remember liking Tetramaster, at least. It's a very different game, and Triple Triad fans tend to be very dismissive of it, but I remember finding it fine. <laughs> I remember just being very satisfied when I realized that like a little tiny frog card with all the arrows was probably the most powerful card in the game. Just because you could combo everything off of it and just steal the entire board in one hit. Hmm. Okay. I will destroy Triple Triad with my own hands. Mm -hmm. uh, let's hit this one since it's fun and I'm tired. Okay. <laughs> is Takeshi's Challenge too Japanese or is it nonsense even for Japanese players? It's nonsense. It's designed to be nonsense. Yeah. Like... The, they sold it on the basis that it was nonsense. They're straight up like the the back of the box stuff is just shit about hitting people out of the blue and singing karaoke and all that shit. Like it's just it's not supposed to be comprehensible. Like nothing is supposed to make sense. It's uh it's the game you get when the start of the game is a digitized rendition of beat Takeshi's face with the statement that this game was made by a man who hates video games. <laughs> it's, uh... Yeah. No, no amount of 
understanding Japanese suddenly will make that game make sense. I mean, you might get a few more of the cultural references. Yeah, like the jokes will make slightly more sense, but the the game itself will not. <laughs> it's like say, it's like a Japanese, uh, like a Japanese podcast asking if that Pin and Teller game for Sega Saturn actually made sense in English. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, nope, just supposed to fuck with you. Literally, in the case of the Pin and Teller game. Yeah, yeah. Also, I didn't realize this until a few weeks ago, but I looked it up. Apparently, someone ported the, uh, Takeshi's Challenge to the uh, to like the iPhone at some point. Huh. <laughs> and that also means that it got an official English title. So its official English title is the ultimate challenge from Beat Takeshi. Also, that version added more levels. Okay. Which is truly hellish cool. sounding. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Uh, released in Japan on August 15, 2017, this version included widescreen support, a new stage taking place in America, and new background music by Taito's sound team, Zuntata. Which I'm happy to see Zuntata still exists in some form or uh, fashion, but man... The problem with Takeshi's challenge was that it wasn't long and abusive enough. <laughs> uh, we had to release this on iPhone so that it would have a built-in microphone so that we could tell whether you were fucking singing for the full hour we intended you to be. <laughs> I'm imagining someone playing that on a train. Just like trying to sing into their iPhone under their breath. <laughs> Be almost as embarrassing as the girlfriend game. Oh god. Yep. Listen, yeah, sometimes yeah. you just gotta sometimes you just gotta play Love Plus. <laughs> yep. And you have to tell your DS, yes, I love you, I love you. In a loud voice. On the train. It's important. Not not nearly as funny as the story of what happened if you pirated a copy of that game. Oh, yeah. Remember, remember this, Wheels? No. So the Love Plus Girlfriend Simulator game, it was came out during the height of the R4 piracy era of the DS. And so the programmers left in some copy protection. So if, you, if you're playing this off of a ROM and you're, I guess it's some sort of checksum failed, then after the first save your girlfriend would dump you <laughs> and refuse to do anything with you. <laughs> and every girl in the game would hate you. Incredible. Yes. I really loved, like, the, a lot of those DS games got real weird with what they would do. Instead of, like, just making the game unplayable, they would just do really strange and abusive things to pirate copies. Yep. Trying to remember which Ubisoft uh, rhythm game, like I think it was the Michael Jackson Ubisoft rhythm game that replaced all of the backing music with like really loud vuvuzelas. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing a video about a Spyro game that like actively abused the person, anybody who pirated it. Yeah, that sounds right. And of course, there there is the the infamous Earthbound. 
Oh yeah, that one's like that one gets more abusive the more you're desperately trying to play it anyway, which is incredible. No, but I mean, it's not just the fact that it puts the like it puts the enemy difficulty on an exponential scale. It's what it does at the end. Yeah, it where it just hard freezes and deletes your data. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, yeah, okay, if you pirate it, it will be playable. You're not going to enjoy it. And then we're going to make you regret it at the end. <laughs> Every moment of this should be, like, a, making you question why you're still pursuing this course of action. Which is, in, in fact, the entire point of Japanese-style anti-piracy measures. Yep. They, they don't want to just prevent you from playing the game. They want to make you actively regret your life choices. I want you to. They want you to go back and reconsider the concept of ever pirating a game again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what was, uh, what was it that Phantom Hourglass did? I forget. I oh, I assumed that it probably uh, fucked with the Phantom Hourglass itself. It probably just didn't give you an. It probably didn't give you enough time. If I were to ask, yeah. Uh. I was always wondering if that was if something with that was the reason why Phantom Hourglass always sort of dies when I try to play it on the 3DS. <laughs> I mean, I cannot keep that game functioning for more than 15 minutes at a time for some huh. reason. It just it it spontaneously fails to accept or fails to register as being in the DS slot. Yeah, I've never and, had that one. And. Not just that, but this is two separate, completely different copies of the game. Both have the same issue. My personal favorite is the GameCube, and this wasn't even for a pirated version, but the GameCube copy uh, that GameStop had of the four Zelda games on a single disc. Oh, the collector's edition, yeah. Yeah, the collector's edition, because Majora's Mask had has a tendency of just crashing randomly. Yeah. That got real bad on the Wii Virtual Console version as well, and that was mostly be uh, to do with the way that people would interact with Virtual Console games because uh, it, it there existed like things that would eventually crash Majora's Mask in terms of like memory issues over time. Uh, in, just in the game, but like they were very rarely going to happen on the N64 because you would have to play the game for an extremely long time. But when you save state and close a virtual console game and then reopen the save state, like that means that it's restoring the state of the machine, memory leaks and all. And eventually that will cause it to crash. So it seemed crashier on the virtual console versions than it actually was because of the way people now interacted with it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm about tapped out, but if we want to do more, we can do more. Yeah. Wheels of sound work. I'm trying to keep the noise down over here from cooking stuff, so um, might want to just in the shop so I can actually get at this. Yeah, okay. Uh, you've got uh, plugs to do, so do them. 
Okay, so we have Princesses of the Pizza Parlor available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited for ebook, um, collected paperbacks, and starting up a, just a per episode paperback series just to see if that works. Um, hmm. And since we don't know exactly when this one will be going up on the site, um, let's just say um, January 8th to January 13th is the author's birthday sale. Um, 60% off or more on any of the ebooks. Nice. Um, yep. So it's a as good a time as ever. Several of the anything that's under two bucks originally will be free. Oh wow. Yeah, so that includes that first episode and both of the side quests. Everything <laughs> else should be like at sixty something percent off, like ninety nine cents or so. A very nominal uh, fee. Nominal <laughs> fee. Um, except possibly the three that have their KDP period ending at the end of this month, and I'm not sure if I have enough time before the birthday sale starts to actually put them on sale again, mm. because of the way they run things. So, um, that's at least nine episodes, two side quests, and a paralogue on discount. Yeah, so... Hopefully all nine episodes, but you know what? Amazon. Ugh. Yeah. If, if it's not, then it's not for lack of... Yeah. So. Yeah. So yes, check them out. Um, see, pen name Michael Yarimizu. Y A R I M I Z U. That's Princesses of the Pizza Parlor. Um, fun fantasy, girls gaming, and lots of pizza. Lots of pizza. So. I would also like with a pizza parlor. Yeah. I mean, it's in the name. Except for the Paralog. The Paralog is cookies and campers, because they don't have pizza. They've got lots of cookies instead. Uh, yep. Okay. Let's see. Um, Dave, anything for you to plug? Oh, uh, just, just Patreon. Last thing I talked about was Fantavision? was a uh, PS2 fireworks simulator little uh, note or regard, but that's uh, that's my wheelhouse, baby. <laughs> Hope you like it. That can be found at patreon.com slash study. That's completely free, but if you would like to throw me a few bucks a month, that would make me very happy. Whatever you can, whether if you just want to read it or even share it with others, that's also wonderful, too. Maybe give that a look. Will? Uh, you can catch my... Uh, ugh, the hell was I saying? You can catch me on my Twitch channel on twitch.tv slash askwheels streaming random stuff during the week uh, in addition to this show and on Sundays on the RP Gamer Twitch. We do Sunday night shenanigans. Me just playing whatever, some random RPG, and then afterwards we switch to fighting games back on my channel. Uh, this past week was King of Fighters 2002, which was a lot of fun. Uh, that's it. Uh, and Tam, you got anything to plug? And you can always catch uh, more action on the RP Gamer Twitch channel as well, where we have a variety of streamers besides just Wheels and myself, uh, Mighty Tam, uh, 
streaming many different RPGs from across the gaming spectrum. Uh, we try and have content seven days a week, although uh, with the holidays, the schedule may be a little in flux. Yeah, and that's that's just normal. That's just going to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know. Um, I may have the apartment to myself for a few days at the end of the month, so if anybody wants to just talk me through signing up to something, I might see if I can... I have no idea what I could do, but it'd be weird. Be trying. Yeah. See if I can get one of those PlayStation emulators to start working. I can play one of my old Legacy games and back. I can help you work out PlayStation emulation, if it's free. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh... Otherwise, you can send us questions. Thank you once again to uh, dear friend Fireminer for giving us so many questions this week. Uh, we will... Uh, oh, I don't know what our holiday schedule is going to be. Uh, we can work that out off, off mic. But, uh, yeah. Uh, if you want to ask us questions... Uh, you can ask via the Discord, which you can reach by going to pregaming.com and clicking the community tab, which will get you an invite to the Discord link. Uh, if you, like, even if you don't want to ask us questions, it's a lovely community, and I would highly advise joining. Uh, if you don't feel like doing that, you can also leave them in the comments section underneath this very episode. I just realized I forgot to check the comments section this episode. I'm desperately hoping that nothing happened while I wasn't looking. <laughs> well, well, Wheels updated two. I'm going to say Wheels updated two of them this week, and neither of them have comments yet. Okay. Okay. Well, from now on. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'll try to be. I'll try to be mindful of that. Uh, if you really need to just yell into our ears, there's also the Twitch chat where you can ask questions. We usually record around. Uh, eleven thirty to uh midnight ish, uh Eastern time, in the United States, and uh on on Wednesday slash Thursday in the United States, uh or eight thirty to nine in the west on the west coast. You were saying, guys? And about two thirty p.m. to four p.m. Japan Standard Time. Yeah, <laughs> where where much of our audience, I'm sure, lives. Uh, you can also uh, shoot questions on at twitter.com um, at rpgamer, or you can uh, do it to myself, the Mighty Tam. Um, it's at the Anime Man One, um, and you can and I will uh, make sure to pass them along to the uh, panel. I always trust you, Tam. Uh, yeah. So, otherwise, though, I think we are all completely tucked out. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, except for me, but that's normal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, me and Wales, though, are both completely dead in the water, so. See ya, space cowboys. See ya. Uh